0: If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly.
1: Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're going to talk about how you turn your insurance into cash and... I'd like to know how to do that, too. Joining me today is David Rosel. He is the author of In the Know, Turning Your Unwanted Life Insurance into Serious Cash. So welcome to the show, David.
0: Oh, Heather, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for having me.
1: Sure. First of all, why would somebody want life insurance? Let's just start there. Let's start with why does somebody get life insurance? And then we can go with, well, you have it. Why on earth are you going to turn it into cash?
0: Well, probably the most common is uh, when a couple has children, and if something happened to either the mother or father who are the income earners, the idea is to spend pennies now to get dollars later to replace their income. Other times, in my financial firm, I have a partner named Rodney, and if something happened to either one of us, we have insurance on each other uh, so that there'd be enough money to buy out the other half of the business, and that f- those funds would go to The deceased family. And other times, uh, historically, people get it for estate planning uh, purposes. When the second spouse passes away and your estate is over a a certain threshold, uh, there is a federal estate tax. And some states, like the state of Oregon, where I reside in, have a death tax. And, And very often, the families don't have the liquidity to pay that tax. Uh, and they're starting to lose family homes and so on. So the life insurance is a great way to leverage those dollars uh, so that the family is at ease financially when there's a a death in the family.
1: I want to ask really quickly, because you brought up if you are a partner, if you have partners in a business and one of you dies, then if you have life insurance, you use that money to buy out the other half of the business. What if the family members, technically, they would inherit half of the business? What if they don't want to sell?
0: Well, smart business owners have a agreement uh, in advance, a buy-sell agreement, which spells that all out. Um, So in my case, I chose that I don't want my family to become a partner uh, in business with Rodney, and Rodney is also in favor of that. So you have attorneys that draft contracts that say Rodney will become 100% of the business owner uh, if something were to happen to me and the life insurance that the business owns on my life will pay Rodney enough money so he could pass that on to my children so that they come out ahead financially and Rodney doesn't automatically go into business with my children.
1: Because they may not do well by the business? (laughs)
0: Well, my kids are really good at a lot of things, uh, but financial planning is not one of them.
1: Okay, gotcha. All right. So now you've got this life insurance and now you've realized, you know what? I think I need cash instead. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to give up the life insurance at that point and turn it into cash?
0: Yeah, good question. Um, Very often, it's not so much that the people need cash. It's just that they may no longer need cash. That insurance. Uh, Just like a lot of my clients had big homes and now that they're well into their retirement years, they're looking to simplify and downsize. But when it comes to life insurance, um, there's four main reasons that I could think of. Um, One of the reasons is uh, a lot of people are getting increased premiums from insurance companies. So as they get older, and interest rates up till this past year have artificially been held low, which is increasing the cost of policies. And for some people, they're no longer affordable. You also have children who have grown up and fled the coop, and they uh, may be making more money than mom and dad are now. And so the policy that was to replace the income is no longer needed. Uh, Using the example of business owners, Let's say that my partner, my business partner, Rodney, and I decided to sell the business and we also still have life insurance on each other that's no longer needed. That's another scenario. And another one that comes to mind is years ago, if we went back to 2001 and a husband and wife pass away, everything above $675,000 in their estate got taxed at 55%. And you jump ahead to 2023, and it's almost $13 million per spouse that you don't pay on. And let's face it, most people um, do not have a $26 million estate. Um, So people that once had a need for life insurance for estate planning may no longer have that need. And uh, the interesting thing is up to 90% of life insurance policies never pay out a death benefit, because they either expire, they lapse, or the people surrender them. And so now there is a new option out there, um, where people have the opportunity, rather than surrendering their policy, or walking away with some cash value, if there's some small cash value in there, they have a new option, and that is to potentially sell the, the policy. So a lot of people have term policies and a term policy is almost like a, you're renting that policy for a certain term of time, very often say 20 years. And when that 20 year time period is up, uh, those policies just expire. Um, and if, uh, if people have the ability in their convertible terms, we can convert that policy from a term into a permanent policy. And if they qualify, we could potentially then sell that policy.
1: Selling the policy, that's how you make cash from a life insurance policy?
0: So this is only meant for people that no longer want their life insurance or no longer need it. And up until recently, there's only been You know, really three main options that these people had. One is just keep the policy and continue paying increased premiums if their premiums have increased. Um, If it's not affordable, well, what we can do is decrease the death benefit. So if it's a million dollar policy, we can decrease it to a $500,000 policy, and then the premiums are cut in half. And the third, usually the most common, is when you no longer need that policy, most estate planning attorneys or the client CPAs are saying just surrender the policy. You don't need it anymore. But now there is a fourth option that potentially can benefit people much more. And it's a strategy that the life insurance companies don't even want you to know about. <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, when you think about your home, Heather, or your automobile, your, if someone has a boat, your investment portfolio, or even your business, those are all considered capital assets, and most people aren't aware that your life insurance policy is also considered a capital asset. It's also an asset that could have significant value.
1: So is uh, cashing it in or, or surrendering the life insurance policy, is it similar to, like you were saying, like a car insurance policy? Because my car insurance, I have to pay for the entire year up front. And let's say I get rid of the car, but I still have six, seven months left on the policy. That insurance company gives me back of the refund of, of the seven months that I haven't used. Is that sort of what life insurance surrendering it
0: is? Well, if you surrender the policy, you're giving, you're saying, I no longer want the policy. And the insurance companies love that because they've been collecting premiums all these years. And now you're saying you no longer want it and they'll never have to pay out a death benefit. But what I'm talking about is referred to as a life settlement. And it's the sale of existing life insurance policies often to an institutional investor so these investors can include pension funds hedge funds and banks and the policy is put up for sale um, to these institutional investors for more than the cash surrender value but less than the death benefit and what happens is the policy owner sells the policy in exchange for a lump sum cash payment and once the policy is sold to these investors these investors, the buyers, become the policy owner, and it's their responsibility to keep up with the premium payments moving forward, but in return, they're eventually going to receive the death benefit upon that insured's debt.
1: Oh, okay. So if I have a life insurance policy of $500,000, and I'm assuming I'd have to pay into it for a certain amount of years before I get a decent buyout... Let's say I decide to sell it, I would get maybe three hundred thousand dollars for it, and whoever buys it would wind up with the five hundred thousand eventually once I passed. Is that basically it?
0: Yeah, in a nutshell, that sums it up. So it's the disparity, the the difference between what they're purchasing it for. In your case, your example, the three hundred thousand dollars, and and yet when that person dies the institutional investors who purchase that policy for three hundred will collect the additional 200000 and have a significant return on their investment. So these institutional investors are purchasing thousands of life insurance policies, almost like a mutual fund of policies. And they're not so focused on each individual policy as much as the pool of all the funds together. But Heather, there are some prerequisites that are important. So Um, This is generally meant for people who are 65 and older, uh, unless they're facing a life-shortening condition and and don't want their policy. But in that case, most people should hold on to their policy. Um, It's generally for people who have a life expectancy of 15 years or less. And you can imagine why, because these buyers of the policies are are taking over the premium payments. uh, And in their mind, of course, even though your name is in a blind trust for confidentiality, they're hoping that the insured dies prematurely, if you know what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> yes. this and... Could this turn into one of those things You know, where the husband or the wife knocks off the spouse to get the life insurance policy? You've got these corporations that are like, ooh, let's get rid of this person prematurely.
0: If the husband or wife wanted to take that action, they certainly wouldn't want to sell the policy to the institutional investor. They'd want to be the beneficiary themselves. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, to make sure there's no Tony Sopranos in the world, people's names are held in a blind trust. It's a very, very regulated industry. We were the uh, first Oregonians in our state to be licensed to do life settlements. I just wrote the first book about this subject matter. And basically what we're doing is when people qualify and we think we can get value. And this is, uh, again, this is only an option that truly makes sense for people that no longer want or need their policy. And they were going to walk away with either nothing or a small amount of cash value. And now they could potentially walk away uh, with some serious cash.
1: Is this something also you might want to consider if you've heard of difficulties with whatever company that you took the life insurance policy out from? Because I've heard horror stories of a person dies and the premiums keep getting automatically withdrawn from the deceased person's checking account. They won't pay out the settlement. You know, we've heard this in the past.
0: In the 23 years that I've been doing this, I've never heard of that case uh, when uh, you know there's a written contract, and when a life in, when you own life insurance, and the person who owns that policy and it's on their life passes away, that insurance company is obligated to pay that death benefit. The, there's some scenarios where they won't, where if it was someone that committed suicide within one year of taking out the policy, or they lied on their application where they really weren't healthy when they took out the policy. And then they were deceased and they found out that they lied. They will fight that in court, but it's really important. Um, I'm a firm believer in life insurance. Um, it just leverages pennies to make dollars. I own life insurance on my life for my family's sake and my partner's sake here at business. Um, but, uh, it's really important to only work with a plus rated companies, companies that have the highest ratings and have been around for a long time and so on. And, uh, I, I do think there's a lot of ethics, generally speaking, in the life insurance industry.
1: Is this turning your insurance policy into cash? Is Can that be done nationwide or only in Oregon? Because you said you're one of the first companies to be approved to do this.
0: Uh, in Oregon, yeah, it, yeah. We work with clients um, in all 50 states. Um, and what we do is we do an audit on their policy because... In most cases, a life settlement might not be the most viable option. Um, You know, I shared the different options about you can pay the increased premiums, decrease the death benefit amount to make it more affordable, and and sometimes just surrendering the policy makes the most amount of sense. But if you don't need or want that policy and we think it's viable and can be sold uh, based on all the prerequisites that I shared, uh, it is a fourth option that is very Lucrative and uh, and has positive impacts on people's retirement.
1: Now I'm sure if you're helping people to sell their policy, if it works for them, if that's something that's good, you're going to take a cut somehow, or you have a you charge a fee.
0: Yeah, very much so. It's very important to be aware before you go into anything like this to be aware of the costs involved in Uncle Sam's portion. And what I mean by that is that let's say uh, someone, you use the number $300,000 that they're receiving uh, from the sale of their policy. Using that example, uh, Uncle Sam is gonna tax that. So it's important to speak to your tax advisor to find out exactly how much of that's gonna be taxed. And number two, the industry average uh, in this business is about 30%. So 30% Mm -hmm. of the transactional costs. Unlike buying a life insurance policy, which once you fill out the application, could take just weeks until you own that policy. Uh, A typical life settlement or the sale of a life insurance policy often takes four, six plus months. And what we're doing is we're putting it out to auction to all the main viable institutional investors that buy life insurance policies. And once we get that first round with the highest bid, We share that highest bid with everyone again. And very often, we're going out five and six different rounds until we finally get the highest offer for the client. So we're looking after our client's best interest. We're sharing all the bids that we receive and ultimately going with the highest bid. And this takes uh, a lot of work and a lot of time.
1: Wow. Okay. So not only do you get generally 30% will will not come to the person selling the, the policy, plus you'll get taxed on it. So the $300,000 that the policy might sell for, the client might eventually only wind up with 170000
0: Yeah, that would be probably a, a pretty average number. And I always say that, you know, 70% of something is better than 100% of nothing um, because these are people that uh, most attorneys... Most financial planners, a matter of fact, uh, research showed that 90% of financial planners aren't even aware that life insurance policies can be sold. These are for people that were getting ready to walk away with either nothing or the small amount of cash value that's in there. So they're looking at it that people that are selling these these policies are often in their retirement years, and it is free money for them in essence.
1: David Rossell, what is the name of your company?
0: So the name of our company is Roselle Wealth Management, and we're located in Bend, Oregon. We work with people around the country. Uh, The life settlements or the sale of policies is just part of what we do. Our clients are people who are at or near retirement, and we help them uh, come up with a game plan of how they're going to get their paychecks and playchecks through their years of financial independence.
1: And how long do you have to hold on to your life insurance policy before you can try to sell it if you're over 65?
0: Well, I, I don't know the answer to that. Generally, people who are over 65, whose health has decreased compared to when they took out their policy, and it's a viable thing, have usually held on to it for, for quite a while. Um, But that might not always be the case. You know, in most cases, too, if you own a life insurance policy and you fall ill, it is going to be in your best interest to hold on to that life insurance policy because the death benefit is going to be greater than what you can sell the policy for. Um, Where these life settlements really come into hand is when people were already planning on walking away from their policies.
1: Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, David Roselle. Again, you are with Roselle Wealth Management and you can take clients from all over the country or you can you only take clients in uh, Oregon?
0: Yeah, our clients are located uh, all around the country. Um, You can find out more about us at RoselleWealthManagement.com. It's all spelled out. I know it's long, but Roselle is R-O-S-E-L-L. And uh, I have a passion for writing and and sharing, uh, helping people live the life they've always imagined. And there's two other books that I've written in addition to In the Know, and that is uh, Failure's Not an Option, Creating Certainty and the Uncertainty of Retirement. And then for our clients, children and grandchildren, we wrote a book called Keep Climbing, A Millennial's Guide to Financial Planning. And our goal was to make financial planning books fun. And that's what we've succeeded at.
1: All right. Thank you so much, David Rossell. You are an author of three separate books and a partner in Rosell Wealth Management. And people can go there if they need more information.
0: They sure can. And Heather, it was really a pleasure to be on your show today. And uh, I appreciate you helping get the word out there because for those that it's appropriate for, it could be a real uh, feather in their cap. And uh, we're trying to get words out to financial planners and insurance agents and estate planning attorneys around the country that this fourth option uh, is viable for a certain portion of a certain segment of the population.
1: Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. And you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener.
0: Follow your common sense on the social media. Money Making Sense on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.